It's episode 37 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me this week is J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah? Yep. So I was, It's very sweep right now. It is very sweep. I was going to say, I was, I was home this weekend, and my dad told me that he was trying to find the podcast, and he Googled it. <laughs> so he Googled my name. He Googled your name? Yeah, and it was kind of like that reaction Chunk has in Goonies when they break that statue. <laughs> Remember right in the beginning? Yes. Where, he's, where, where the mom's like, what happened to that? And Chunk's like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's kind of how it felt when you hear like your parents Google your name. <laughs> so what, what does happen if you Google So what name? happened was, okay, so all of a sudden he's like, and then this picture came up. I was like, oh, Jesus. I'm like, what, what the hell kind of picture could it be? And he's like, it said effed and effed in the ass and i'm like what <laughs> and it dawned on me i posted our conversation from your eclipse trip <laughs> and that's what pops up is our, our our text message conversation when i asked you where you ended up <laughs> and that was that you was your my explicit response. answer my very explicit answer yes, yes. <laughs> so that that apparently when you google my name is one of the top uh uh, search features or search. Uh, I'm glad that it, it has been immortalized in that way. It is, yeah. So I was I was worried there, and then I saw it was that, and I'm like, oh no, I'm not the idiot in this story. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, you can help fans find the podcast by rating Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you can see that great picture I have. I think I have it pinned to the top of my Twitter uh, feed. Anybody oh. who wants to see it and relive that moment. Uh, but you can find that if you go to our Milwaukee Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash mketailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. On May 3rd, Carbon 4 hosts the Common Thread Release Party. This year's beer is an American pale ale lager and it'll be available when doors open at 11 a.m. Common Thread beers are a collaboration with other Wisconsin brewers and the proceeds of the event are donated to the Wisconsin Brewers Guild. It's a great way to celebrate craft beer week. So head over to Carbon 4's tap room on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side or check out carbon4.com for more information. Hey, Carbon Steve. 4 Beer you, Brilliance. Beer, yeah, sorry. I, I apparently stepped can't on read. It. Yeah, I stepped right all over that. Um, no. So you apparently just did that. You stopped by the brewing room, tap room, <laughs> the brewery, <laughs> the brewery or yeah, tap room, whatever. And what are we what are we drinking here? This is I don't the, even know what this is. The the Mina Hates Bananas Hefeweizen that they put out. I think it's a limited release one. Yeah, okay. I did see that was on there when I was looking the other day. Okay. Yeah, so I stopped by, I got that because I have a growler to go take in. And that's the best way to do it is to go to the brewery and just get it fresh. Yep. And get your growler filled. Exactly. Yes. So yeah, head over there and you know, they have they have everything you normally see, plus they usually have a few different uh limited release things that you can go get filled up. So I recommend doing that. Um, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored in part by sound devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, check out the mix pre three and mix pre six for more information, visit sounddevices.com. 
hey guys, we got a winning streak. It's like a real winning streak too. It's it's a legit winning streak. What are we at now, JP? I'm trying to pull you in on this. Yeah, you're, you were you were kind of falling asleep. I know it was a good week. It was a good week to play really bad teams. Yeah, you know, <laughs> turns out when you play bad teams, I was going to say, yeah, it really helps to play the Reds and the Marlins in uh, seven games. So, I mean, aside from dropping that first one against Cincinnati, yes, they have been quite good. Well, honestly, they won on those back-to-back Eric Thames two-run home run games. The, they weren't great against the Reds. No, they weren't, but they pitched really, really well. They, they pitched well, and Eric Thames was a monster. A monster, yeah. And then they actually, the offense is broken out, which we were waiting for. We've been sitting around waiting for them to like score a bunch of runs in a game, and they did it twice against the Marlins. And even, even the other games, they, what did they have today? Four? So not terrible. Yeah, I think they scored six and four were the other uh, winning totals. Besides the 12 and the eight. Yeah. So, so yeah. how much, so hey, was, JP, was, how much does it help to have Yelich back in the lineup? Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny how offense picked up as soon as they played somebody bad and got a bunch of people healthy. Um, Yelich has been incredible. I Not only is he hitting the ball with power, he's hitting it to all fields. He's drawing walks. And I mean, Lorenzo Kane is tremendous atop the order as well so it's been a good opportunity to see what the the new additions to the team can do to set the table early and then at times i mean yelich was his heart uh on sunday what day that we're when we're recording was the difference for a while and then the marlins had you know some terrible justin Bohr had a terrible day in which it was actually able the brewers to uh to take the ultimately take the game, so it was a it was a good situation to be able to see what they can do when they have a potent top of the order again. the The bottom of the order still needs to figure it out, but um, the top what five guys, Kane, Yelich, Braun, Shaw, and and Thames have been great. Yeah. Or Aguilar, really. I mean, yeah. even if Aguilar's playing instead of Thames, he's been really good as well. Yeah, I was gonna say we learned that that Jesus doesn't save. Jesus hits dingers. Jesus does hit dingers. So yeah, I that think was you just hit another one too while we were trying to dig your phone out of your car. <laughs> oh, that's a yeah, that's a different issue. So um, yeah, that, well, and that was a thirteen pitch at bat that he had on on Saturday night. Yeah, it was. And I was I was at the game, and the me and the guy in front of me, we were both kind of saying you can see him like getting closer, and you can see him timing it up and getting closer and closer and closer to hey, it. Hey, JP, is that a thing, or is Ryan just? Uh, kind of going back and assigning a little bit of meaning to something that really wasn't happening. No, I think when you have an opportunity to see the same lever throw 13 pitches, you eventually start to figure it out a little bit. more. Right. We were saying before he did it that like, he seems to be getting the timing down. It's getting closer. And then there it comes. I didn't even stand up. I was laughing. I think he dented the uh, Toyota, whatever SUV is. They oh, there's there. a whole, there's a whole uh, there's thing about that. Yeah, there's yeah. a debate. As I think to there's a Zapruder film of it now. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> got the the frame by frame, the grainy, the grainy footage. Yeah, did he did he actually hit the the Toyota in the Tundra territory or? Well, I think he hit it, but the question is whether or not it hit something else first. If it caught it on the ricochet or not, because I think it has to hit it on the fly. Yeah. Either way, I I woke up my four year old and I'm like, you got to see this. Well, he was still kind of up, but yeah. So oh, you, I was going to say you, were. he was still kind of, he was still kind of awake. I didn't, he, he, he was kind of at the door and looked out and I'm like, because I know you're going to enjoy a home run because he loves home runs. 
It's not just chicks. It's toddlers like the long ball, too. So, <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so... I mean, did this did these two series back to back? Do you th- do you think this is a team getting kind of finding their stride at this point, JP? I don't know. It's hard to tell. Uh, it's I, ultimately, and I know this is an unsatisfactory answer. I think it's just they played really terrible teams. Um, I mean the Mar the Marlins and the Reds have how many wins? Seven. Something like that. Yeah, it's not good. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, they ended up getting Brian Price fired from the reds after yeah. uh, the last game against them i think when he got fired there were three and 15 yes they had just won their third game and the marlins and it turns out like they, and wins. it turns out they have uh continued to lose since then so it's almost like Aaron price had nothing to do with it <laughs> well they haven't find, found the right hitting coach yet because i think they also fired the hitting coach as well well because joey Votto's slumping and like <laughs> so that's that's got to be something it is. um well and to be to be frank with you know, the situation with the Reds, I actually don't think it's a terrible thing if they wanted to get rid of Brian Price, but bringing in Jim Riggleman just seems not like a long-term answer. Like when the Brewers got rid of Ron Renneke, it was clear that the situation was not Renneke's fault, but they had Craig Council in waiting, and that was the long-term manager that they wanted to to bring in. And I thought that was going to be the situation with the Reds. They had somebody a young manager or a, a manager they was they were really excited about that they wanted to grow with a young team and they wanted to be able to bring in and i don't necessarily think the reds are working with that same kind of plan so i didn't necessarily understand what the the reason for the move is unless there's going to be something that that comes down the road as well yeah and i mean i think with the brewers there was at least some hope at a positive trajectory once council took over well i think with council they they said as much that they thought council was a guy who could help them develop the young players they knew were going to be coming through at that point and that's what the the focus was going to be was on developing younger players and that seems to have worked out okay for them i don't know i mean brian price probably would be an okay manager he never had talent it he he came into a tough situation because he came in after dusty got let go right as that reds wave had crested and was basically in a tough situation the whole time where he really didn't have great talent ever well and did he take over right after cueto left no i think he had right before he had cueto at the beginning but but you have cueto and bailey Cueto leaves for San Francisco. Bailey gets hurt. Bailey gets hurt. I mean, so you have no pitching staff. All you have is Joey Votto because you have a an aging Brandon Phillips. Right. And Phillips that's about has gotten it. old. Jay, Jay Bruce gets shipped out. Yeah. I mean, They're what just, are you going to do? It's it's hard to be a manager. Right. There wasn't much that you were going to do there. One but thing, real quick, otherwise this is a Brewers podcast. I'm going to bring it back to that. I was just going to say, going back to the point okay. about, uh, I mean, the Brewers were playing poorly enough before where even if you get a seven-game stretch against really awful teams, they the way they were playing, they weren't going to go and take six out of seven of those games the way they were playing. So they've definitely started playing better. How much of that has to do with the fact that those teams are completely terrible? I don't know. But, I mean, you never expect even – it's always a popular thing when people look at a schedule and they go, oh, well, now you're playing a bunch of garbage teams. You should sweep this series and whatever. It, baseball doesn't usually work that way. I mean, there's some there's some back and forth that way, but usually, you know, you just 
you hope to win the series against bad teams. You don't think you're necessarily going to go through and, you know, run six of seven from them. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a positive development, at least, considering where they are. And they seem to be at least a little bit stabilized. This season, and I put something out there this week on Twitter about it, saying basically the hope is at this point that they can be around the uh, – the time that, you know, hopefully Jimmy Nelson and Corey Knabel comes back and we got good news on Corey Knabel this weekend. But hopefully they can be maybe on July 1st, somewhere around 500, maybe a little bit better than that, and be in a position to make a run in the second half with, you know, potentially a better squad than what we have on a daily basis right now. At least that's the hope. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, one one of the big questions we had, we had it from a few different places this week, um, was asking about Brent Suter. He pitched on Saturday, five innings, five earned runs. He's basically pitched, the, the longest he's gone, even in a good start, has been five and a third innings. Otherwise, he's pretty much just been five innings each time out. He's got a, you know, 568 ERA. Even baseball prospectus projects rest of the season is DRA is, you know, almost five. So, I mean, he's not going to be a great run preventer. Um, I guess what, how many more starts does Suter get in the rotation first? I guess that's the first question. It's it's hard to tell. It's also, I mean, it, it literally could be they make the move for Brandon Woodruff now. Um, I mean, Brandon Woodruff has had three good starts in a row in AAA. He's, I, I don't think he's gone more than five innings in really, and he's given up more than a single earned run um, in each of his starts. And Brent Suter is somebody that is pitching, I mean, frankly, like we would expect Brent Suter to pitch. I mean, it's not something in which he's worse than we've thought, or he's he's somebody that can be a competent swingman. Um, and, and he's still showing that. I think they could eventually move Suter to... Well, and we've been talking about whether or not they'd move him to the bullpen, but at the same time, bullpen's been so good. Unless they decide that they're going to get rid of, you know, Oliver Drake or something of to that effect, I don't. Which wouldn't break anybody's moving heart. him to the bullpen is. I think it. I think Twitter would suggest some people's hearts would be broken. Oh, there are but some Twitter fans of Drake. I think there are some people that are that just like to. I think people are. Uh, Supporting Oliver Drake because they think that some of the distaste with him is a little too heavy. Sure, but that's me. Now, hold on a second. Now, the thing about Woodruff, yes, he's only, he's only given up one run in each of his three starts. But yeah. what I'm curious about, he's walking almost nine guys in AAA right now. Like, I mean, it, oh, I, yeah. Or how many did I say? Yeah, four guys, four per nine. That's about what he's walking. I mean, Woodruff still has some issues. He's probably he's going to have some rough patches when he's pitching in the majors. Yeah, absolutely. But he's going to be somebody that actually has a path to a long-term starting spot rather than something like Brent Suter. And he's needs to work through those patches in the big leagues. I mean, staying down in AAA in which he doesn't necessarily have to throw as many good strikes, the the caliber of batter that he's facing are not as good he needs to to face major league pitching day in and day out um or start in and start out i suppose but there's also a shot that brent Suter could just be optioned i don't necessarily think that's a great i don't know how big of a chance there is because i think that one of the things that i've been trying to figure out is why the organization went with brent Suter 
more than you know Junior Guerra or more than other people. And I think that the organization really values Suter as a guy. I mean, every single celebration you see, he is front and center. He's always talking to guys. He's always talking to pitchers. He's working with the catchers. I mean, we know, and it's not just because he went to Harvard, but he's a, we've seen interviews with him, and he's a really intelligent guy. And he thinks through the process, pitching, what it's like to be in the big leagues, and he's articulate about it. And I think the organization really values him as a clubhouse guy. Um, it's somebody that maybe council loves him. I'm not necessarily sure. But I've been trying to think about it more and more, especially since Junior Guerra has been pitching well. And I think that if you watch Suter, he he's always smiling. He's always around. He's always uh, talking to everybody in the dugout. He's always trying to pump everybody up. And I know that a lot of fans might not necessarily value that, but that is something that the clubhouse does need. Um, and every single year, the last two years, we've been talking about the fact that the clubhouse is is great in Milwaukee, that they all have fun. They all like each other. They all work well together. And maybe Suter is somebody that, you know, really gels some people together. Um, and it's something that a lot of managers really value. So I would say that if, if Woodruff is going to come up, would imagine that Suter moves to the bullpen, but then they do have to decide who to, who to get rid of. Um, and we've seen again and again, that they prefer to option people. They don't want to DFA people outside of, you know, JJ. I would imagine if if Suter was going to go to the pen, it would probably be uh, Taylor Williams because Williams still, uh, I, and I'm not sure exactly what the reason is, but Council doesn't seem to want to play him in high leverage situations yet. He's keeping him out of high leverage situations as much as possible. He was he was pitching in a safe situation in the ninth inning on the rodents in St. Louis. Right when they were completely just they had nothing as far as options. They were, they were so, if I remember right, they had nobody in the pen that was like healthy at that point. It was like, or not healthy, but Hader had pitched the day before, so he was out. Well, hold on. I mean, he's also fighting for time against Hader, Elbers, Barnes. Um, I mean, Drake comes in. Who else do they have in the bullpen? Coming I mean, in? Drake you... came into a, a high leverage situation Jennings. ahead of, of Williams when both were available in a game, and that was the game that they lost on Monday night. Because he got pounded, sure. Drake got pounded, and they, I'm just, you know. but but still, he's he's at a minimum behind three guys. Yeah, and it, I think he's behind more than that in terms of the way counts. But I'm just saying, if you if right you were now. talking about high leverage innings, there are three guys we could just with with Hader, Barnes, and Elbers that Council will definitely go to first. Yeah, I yes, and but well, I'm just saying, and we wouldn't but argue. He's even he's and even we further below that, and though, we wouldn't think, argue that council's current pecking order. I think he's well, well I think, down. I think after you get past three, you're kind of whoever is available more so, and so that's kind of how it that could works be. Out. But yeah, to see it more to JP's point, if he has options, that makes it easier to main you know keep all the talent you have, let everything shake out, and make decisions down the road. Um, yeah, just to be clear, I'm not saying that Williams should go or that he doesn't deserve to be in high leverage. I'm just saying that that's the way it seems to be going now. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, Ryan, you make the case for Wade Miley, uh, coming up and taking that spot. Are you what now? <laughs> well, um, he, he's pitched a game. He pitched on the 17th, <laughs> two and two thirds, and he threw 37 pitches. I think he's a little ways away, but, uh, what are the chances that eventually he gets the look? 
I would think it's Woodruff before it's Miley. I, Miley seems like a separate situation at this point. I'm not sure how far Miley well, actually is away. Gara's been pitching well. Yeah, I don't think Gara's going so anywhere. So Gara doesn't look like he's going anywhere right now. And then you say Woodruff gets the shot first. You know, if Woodruff at least is is serviceable, I mean, does Miley fit? That would be a decision they'd have to make somewhere down the line. Woodruff, I don't think it's an accident that Woodruff is lined up with Suter right now in terms of they're starting on the same day. I think that that was, you know, that's been done intentionally so that they are, you know, so that one can be swapped out for the other if need be when they, if they decide to make that decision. Miley, I, I guess I, I'm, it's, he's got to be still further away than that. I wouldn't you be surprised if he was, you know, well, how before quick, hey, early to mid May? Yeah, JP, how quickly do guys increase pitches with each start, or how many pitches do they in, increase per start when they're getting back into shape? I mean, it, it ultimately depends on what the injury was. Um, it depends on on their history. I I would think that Wade Miley probably needs another, I'd say, two starts, and then I think he'd be ready to come up. I, maybe you could get by with one, but if you really want to ramp it up quickly, but I think comfortably they would want Wade Miley to get another two starts. I mean, would you say he'd go like 60 and 80 pitches and then he'd kind of be ready to go more than 80 once he got called up? Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily know what his opt out situation is like when they have to make a decision, whether or not he's going to be called up. So I don't know if that's going to affect when they, ramp it up but i would i would think they would want him to go at least eight pitches before i think they'd want him to go 50 60 pitches a couple of times and then expect him to be able to ramp it up after that even though i i suspect he probably would but they have no like would be able to do that i just think they have no reason to force a guy like him to to have to do that i mean are they going to feel obligated to get him a start if he gets healthy or is there is there a situation where they just say well, we don't need him, so we're going to, you know, set him free. Well, I mean, he's then free to go to any one of a number of teams that could potentially use a starter, which is like a I lot mean, of teams. So. It's Wade Miley. It's not like you're getting a high-end starter or even barely a back-end starter. No, but I would assume... Does he get swooped up right away? I would assume so. I don't know that he would go right away to the major leagues. I mean, Giovanni Gardo did. Right. And Gardo did not look nearly as effective. I was going to say, how long did that last? Well, it didn't, but the well, way... He got, he, got, he got picked up twice. The got way, picked up by the Reds and then picked up by the Rangers. The way teams go through pitchers nowadays, I mean, it's it's a revolving door on the back end, and he fits right into that. Well, you know, we have a, a Patreon question from Jason Spitz. He asks, uh, as of this morning, so Sunday morning, Brewers starting pitchers are averaging 5.08 innings per start. What's the reasonable expectations for innings per start out of your starting pitchers? Because teams are going through starting pitchers because, you know, they don't trust them to go through the uh, lineup more than two times, maybe. I think the best answer to this is lower than it used to be. So I think that's messing with everybody. This is not a brewer. Uh, you see a lot of complaining about it on Brewers Twitter. This is not a brewer's mm. issue. This is everybody in MLB is doing this now where they are not letting especially marginal, but even pretty decent pitchers go through the order the third time. They're they're getting guys out of there before they can really get their heads kicked in. And especially we're seeing it early in this season. We'll see how much it, you know, maybe they 
they loosen the, the leash a little bit as the season goes on, but early on, especially, they're not they're not letting guys go deep into games. So, I mean, what's a reasonable expectation? You would hope it would be somewhat higher than that, but in today's day and age, I don't know that that's. I, I would have to compare it across the board. Um, I know that the Brewers have been on the quick side. I saw a, a, a stat at one point that they were they were among the quicker teams to get guys out. But some of that is also how many how many uh, Brett Suter starts, how many you know Brandon Woodruff started once or twice in that or once at least. Um, I mean, and, you, you have you have Anderson and Davies and Chassin that they'd probably let go longer just because they can, but you haven't had, but Chassin hasn't been, Chassin hasn't done anything. Davies had a couple of rough starts to, you know, start the season. Anderson's been the only guy that you can kind of lean on for six. And even then he goes six. Yeah. He really, yeah. We just finally had somebody get uh, he went, an out in the seventh. And I was going to say he, w- he went into the seventh, but he doesn't have, seven innings pitched next to his name for any of the, the starts he's made so far this year. Right, yeah. Yeah, we finally got somebody past the 18th out, but I think he literally went one more out, and then that was it. So, But, I mean, you can see there there have been a lot of changes to the way they're handling pitchers this year. They're, five innings is kind of when guys are looking to get, get the hook, and then we're seeing multiple saves. We're seeing saves. We're seeing multiple saves a week where guys are going two innings. Yeah, it's becoming more and more common. You can look around baseball and see all the guys that are that are now getting two inning saves. Um, JP, is there an advantage to getting guys to go two innings to get saves or at least cover innings out of the bullpen? Is is there an advantage that teams are getting by doing this? Is that why it's becoming more of a thing? It's a way to keep more guys fresh longer. In terms, of the, in terms of the bullpen. And you can see what the organization is trying to do. You know, what we, is they're trying to, A, a guys pitching on back-to-back days, but B, they are trying to, they're trying to limit the amount of pitchers they have to use each day. And I think that that's been something that they're trying to do day. I'll, I'll differ a little bit more and say that I don't think that the five inning average has been because the brewers are changing the way that they're thinking about starting pitching. I think the vast majority of it has been a lack of effect in the starters. I think council would absolutely love guys because again, I think the main thing to do is use fewer pitchers per game. If, and you can see that if he could get somebody to go seven innings and they could just use one reliever for the last two innings, he'd do it in a heartbeat. I think it's just a matter of the fact that it's not just that starters are only going five or six innings. Yeah, if you look at Guerra's start on on Sunday, he was largely cruising and was slated to get through the sixth inning. And I think that Council wanted it through the sixth inning, but the wheels kind of fell off. Whether it was you know his his command got worse or his control got worse, and he just couldn't get through the split. If he would have continued to cruise, the the pitch count was in a good situation, and he might have been given a shot to get through settings if that was going to be an option. So I, I don't think that it's a situation in which Council is limiting the, the amount of inning guys can go. I think it's largely driven by effectiveness, and I think that the Brewers pitchers haven't necessarily been as effective as they would have liked, which, you know, this is something that we've talked about prior to the entire year, whether or not that the starting rotation could could eat in it. Um, 
So I don't necessarily think it's an overarching plan by council. I, I, I understand the point that when struggles are beginning to show that is quicker, but I don't think it's a plan in which they don't want to let pitchers go a, a longer if they, if they can show that they can handle it on that particular day. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, do you think that this is maybe adapting to the fact that they're taking into account warm-up pitches? So guys going one inning more often, if they eliminate the fact that guys got to warm up to get out there for that one inning, they can, you know, basically stretch them longer when they do make appearances and keep them fresher. Like they're not throwing as many pitches because they aren't warming up as often. Um, I don't know. I mean, they are still throwing the pitches before the inning. You know, when they come out for that second inning, they're yeah, throwing. Yeah, but, they're, but they're if, not you're, if you're going up. two innings, you're not warming up each day. Right. And that's, I think that is a thing that teams are very conscious of now. That kind of started with Buck Showalter about five, six years ago when he came to the Orioles, where he made a real effort not to get guys up multiple times and not use them. I think they had some rules about that. So they were avoiding they were avoiding those sorts of things, um, and I think that spread around the game to a large degree. And I know everything is tracked now. I mean, they track everything when a guy gets up and stretches, when they you know, when they just take some easy warm up lobs, when they're actually warming up to get into a game, all of that it all gets tracked. So I don't know. We would it, it very well could be, but it's hard to say from the outside. JP, do you have any thoughts on that? Is there just are are there other factors outside of actually being in the game that are that are causing pitchers, relief pitchers, to go multiple innings? Uh, I think it's just that they don't want to pitch guys on multiple days in a row if they can. I, maybe it is a matter of whether or not they have to get up multiple days in a row. They want to avoid as well, but I think right now with what the Brewers are doing, the thing that makes the most sense to me is that they are trying to get two innings out of pretty much anybody whenever they can. And I think it's trying to use fewer pitchers per game, trying to give more people days off. And maybe this changes in in August, right? Maybe this is a way to keep guys fresh earlier in the year, and then they're going to change it as the year goes on. I'm not necessarily sure, but at the moment, I think right now you see that they're trying to get as many guys days off as they can, both from getting up in the bullpen, exactly like Steve, as you were mentioning, but I, I think it's from having to even pitch us day in a row. Yeah. Um, now, the, the Brewers had a close call this weekend. Orlando Arcia had uh, what looked like it could have been a very serious ankle injury on Friday night. Yeah, you guys freaked me out in the group chat about that because I was not watching it at that point. Oh, I thought I was like, if that's broken, I'm not going to be surprised. <laughs> I, I, I was totally expecting them to say, yeah, Orlando Arcia broke his ankle because when he got up, he, he rounded wide throw came back to first he slid back to it feet first and new rule nobody slides back into first yeah you know what everybody first feet first i don't give if if you get caught rounding too wide at first base just take the out yeah take (laughs) take the out and walk away from it um i wasn't i wasn't watching either and as soon as you all described it i pictured jenkins sliding back into third base and his and his, his ankle just absolutely his ankle twisted. I mean, it wasn't like you know he was hobbling. I know, but, but when Jenkins, he wa- Jenkins, oh yeah, went yeah, yeah, ninety degrees. That oh, was sure, disgusting when that happened. Arcias did not look good when they replayed it. The flexibility of youth, you know, <laughs> uh, he, was Jenkins an old man when that happened? He was well, still he wasn't twenty two. 
he was still in his 20s at least but anyways um todd rosiak sunday said arcia tested his ankle in the morning reported no issues running or fielding and he expects to be 100 percent by tuesday so i guess we have to wait to see mauricio dubon still because that's that's what we were kind of assuming would that have been the move Seems like the most. I would imagine. It so. seems like the most likely thing that would have happened in that case. But you don't think they'd go with the rotation of VR, Sogard, and Perez between shortstop and second base, and then call I, up Brett Phillips I or think somebody? They would. they would have wanted somebody to be able to handle multiple positions, though. Okay. Right, and so maybe 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 field was going to play into that as well, but. I mean, one of the things that they really value is positional flexibility. And so being able to free up Perez to be able to play in the outfield as well and Dubon to be able to play both, you know, shortstop and second base and maybe even third base would have been valuable for the club. I actually don't think it's going to be long before we see Mauricio Dubon anyway. So I think unless something changes pretty dramatically, they're going to have to do something with... I mean, Sogard has... We know what Sogard is. This is pretty much what he's been expected to do. I don't think anything is overly shocking there, but it's uh, still Aaron Perez is not. Yeah, well, uh, quite. And Aaron M. Perez is. Yes, he can play a lot of positions, but he's becoming a pretty big liability in terms of being able to a competently handle a lot of positions defensively. But his bat has been poor. Yeah, that's and, been Perez's biggest issue is when he's out there defensively, you don't say like that's a good defensive player. Like he's just standing there. Yeah, he's had he's had more miscues than I really remember seeing from him in the, in the past, especially at second base. He's really had some struggles over there. Yeah, and I don't know how much of it is. Was he getting more time in like left field last year where it was just kind of hidden? Whether or Absolutely. Not he, I mean, that's what I was talking about over the offseason is the vast majority of his defensive value came in left field and right field. It was not at second base. And it it was it somewhat was at third base, but not as much. The vast majority of, you know, his good UZR numbers and all of that was all his ability to handle left and right field very well. And he is going to not have to, to handle those positions because they've got four outfielders that need to have time, as we've been able to see. Jesus Aguilar is somebody that has been screaming for playing time, so they don't have the real need to put Ryan Braun at first. And Domingo Santana has struggled, so they don't necessarily need to be scrambling to give him it. That's every single day. So right now, if everyone is able to stay healthy, Aaron Perez, if he plays, is going to play second base. And he's not great there defensively, and his bat is has been below average for the vast well for his entire career and then this year it's been i think he's hitting like 220 with like a 245 or 250 on base percentage he is but I'm, I, I'm i'm pretty sure that every hit you can count every hit he has on like one hand but I, i'm pretty sure every hit that he's gotten has like scored a run which again that's why whenever he comes into the game bill schroeder like starts singing the praises of Hernan Perez. <laughs> you can always hear the strings cue up. And oh, just my like, God. Yeah, between <laughs> between talking about her. Well, Miami, the Miami series was the perfect culmination of Hernan Perez and uh, Juan Nieves being there as a pitching coach. <laughs> so we heard about, yeah, the greatness of Hernan Perez and also catching a no-hitter for four days in a row. Did Rock catch a no-hitter? Yeah. Oh, I just saw it. Lucroy caught a no-hitter out in Oakland. Oh, yeah, for uh, Sean Manaya. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it figures that a former Brewers catcher, you go somewhere else and you can catch a no-hitter. But, yeah, Bill Schroeder, 
was going to be immortalized as the only, I think it's a bigger deal than Nieves throwing it, is Schroeder being sure the only did. catcher <laughs> to catch a no-hitter in Milwaukee. Because, I don't know. I, think, it, I mean, it, did you all see I, that uh, is quite the beard now? It is massive. He's grown. He's grown it out, Eric Thames style now. Oh yeah, he's he's definitely embracing the uh, the Oakland thing, where they they encourage the facial hair. Oh, <laughs> like going back to the Charlie O'Finley days. Who Luke Roy? No, just the Oakland. He it, Oakland facial hair. That's like what they do there. Oh okay. Well yeah, that's part but of being. In I Oakland. also should say that I was a little bit overselling what Aaron Perez has done offensively. He's hitting two hundred to two thirty four on base percentage. I told you, uh, like, you offensive. can literally count his hits on one hand. But he has, like, two home runs, and they were he against can't. St. Louis, yeah. and then the yeah. other ones have scored runs. So it's the only reason, like, Hernan Perez doesn't, like, just drive people absolutely nuts. Yeah. Going back to all this was, Arcia still in the lineup. He should be back any day now. And uh, he's kind of starting to hit the ball a little bit. I mean, he had a he hit a big bomb on, that was Friday night? Sure. Yeah. I, that was a dead center shot. Like he, oh he yeah, got yeah, yeah, all he of absolutely it. hammered it. Yes. Yeah, he hammered that. So I mean, are we looking at maybe a turnaround at the plate? Is there anything to suggest that RC is not going to be the the offensive void he's been up to this point? You would maybe, but at the same time, you have to you have to figure out whether or not that this is a situation where he's, you know, is this evidence that he's turning it around, or is he just taking advantage of? the fact that the Marlins are terrible. Right. We're going to have to see. It's really impossible to say. Well, and I mean, they play, they did play good teams as well. I mean, when they were playing the Cubs, the Cardinals, you're not talking about playing poor teams. Not so teams Arce, yeah, so not teams play Arcea, poorly. Not, not when you're talking about Arcia turning it around, though. But Arcia, you were talking about this in previous podcasts, Arcia legitimately looked bad. Like, regardless of who he was playing, oh, yeah. I mean, he was bailing out on, you know, he swung at everything. He seemed to be bailing out on every pitch. It just looked like he didn't have a clue at the plate. Stepping in the bucket. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> but it, it's it all ugly. about, he just has so moving moving parts with his hands. I mean, his load is not consistent. It's just, he has so many moving parts. It's all about timing. And if his timing is off, he looks genuinely poor. But if his timing is able to come around a little bit more, and perhaps this is some significant, you know, evidence that maybe his, his timing is starting to turn around a little bit, then, then maybe, but he's still going to be somebody that, is going to times look really not good when his timing is poor uh, just because he has so many moves. Okay. Uh, we have a Patreon question from Darren Jones, barring either significant injury or regression for Travis Shaw. Does uh, prospect Lucas Ersig have any possible path to becoming a major league regular with the Brewers over the next few seasons. Ryan, what do you think? Are we going to see? Yeah, I think we talked about this. I think that the way that that would happen, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but the way that that would happen would be Shaw would move over to first and Ursig potentially playing third base where he is looks like he's going to be above average to well above average. Potentially. Is there room? Right, Shaw moving to first. Is there room? In two years? Sure. Thames contract will be say, up. That wouldn't be happening now. No, we're talking about well, two or three years down Hold the road. on a second. Even with Thames gone, you still have, you know, Yelich, Kane, and Santana in the outfield. Sure. 
Okay, so Braun and Shaw are what platooning at first base? Oh, I mean, we would have to see how that all shakes out at that point. But I mean, the path to it's it's two years from now. There's no way that anything that you would be worried about in terms of roster construction for two years. Right. Exactly. I mean, Ursig at earliest is going to be knocking on the door middle of next year sometime. And that's, you know, at probably the very earliest. So, well, I mean, he, he did qualify by say, barring significant regression from Shaw. So that's what I'm saying going forward. Well, I think, I, I mean, obviously I if, if there's regression from Shaw and he becomes a player that, you know, you can replace in the lineup, maybe there's the ability, but even then is Ursig as good of a prospect as Shaw was coming up better. Is he? Yes. Shaw okay. was not a top 100 type prospect. It, it, from my memory, he was not a top 100 type prospect. He kind of emerged late. Ursig has been a guy who's been on top 100 lists, especially Keith Laws, but other people have listed him as well. He's He's been on the prospect radar basically since he you know came into pro ball looking really good. Well, he came into pro ball, and he's kind of dropped off a list, though. Right, he he had his best. I'm just saying Shaw Shaw went the other way. He would have been moving up on the list where where Ursig would have been given, you know, the benefit of the doubt being put on list because of who he was when he got drafted and then, you know, with production fell off. So I mean, does that make him a better he, prospect? He was drafted. Luke, Lucas Ursig was drafted in the second round. He was not some drafted in a position in which he was going to be guaranteed a top 100 prospect spot. No, but he also wasn't drafted in a spot where like he'd have to spend multiple seasons earning his way in. And also, wasn't he kind of a unique situation? He fell because of personal issues. Yeah, there was some of that that gets into, you know, whatever. But well, but th- that. That is a reason why he would drop into the second round and why most first rounders, you know, you kind of get put on those lists. Ursig had the pedigree to be on there to begin with. Yeah, there was a lot of disagreement on teams for how good they thought he was. So, you know, and what exactly those issues were. I think the other thing for Travis, Travis Shaw was never, I I mean, I just did a quick search because I don't think he was ever a member of any top prospect list. I just did too. He wasn't. Um, yeah, I think he was he was one of those guys who was like a he came on because Boston desperately needed somebody at third base and he performed really well. And then he kind of just forced his way on as somebody, you know, like it would it's somewhat like if if Garrett Cooper just like lit the world. You just couldn't send him down. anymore. Yeah, I mean, Shaw, but Shaw has a has the ability to play third base and B. Uh, he has legit power. Oh, he absolutely does. Where you look at it and you go, you, you, that can play at first base too. Sure. And, you know, Ursig is probably going to be a better defender than well, like I said, Shaw the is issue with, in a year or two. So. But the issue with what you're bringing up is if you have Braun and, and Shaw at first base, because Braun's still going to be here. That's, yeah, it's complicated. Who knows how this is all going to shake out? They're going to make moves. I know we've been saying that for a very long time on this podcast. Yeah, I but I do not believe you anymore. They're going to make moves. I mean, it's, it, it, it has to happen. They, they will make trades. Speaking of which, did you want to finally get to that question? What, was there a trade made? Which no. one? No, 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 no. <laughs> there was a trade. Was, we, we acquired uh, Tyler Sell. Saldino? Saldino or uh, cash considerations, I believe. <laughs> that guy gets traded all the time. 
cash considerations. Yeah, like oh. that dude's that dude's yeah, always on the that's way. never that's never a joke that's been made before. Okay, so you want the wall Wallalicious question? <laughs> yes, the is wall, that what you want? The Wallalicious question. We have the Wallalicious on Twitter asks, uh, would you agree at some point the front office needs to spend some real prospect currency on controllable young starting pitching with a solid two or even th- or even ace ceiling, and they need to do it probably this winter? Oh, I, I know Ryan's answer to this. I think they would like to avoid that. I think they're hoping that they can do that. That question. No, answer the question. question. Answer answer the question. Not what not whether or not you think that the organization wants to. It says, would you agree? No, I don't agree. I do not agree. I do I do not agree. I would hope that they and that they're hoping that they can do it themselves. That Corbin Burns, who has been looking every bit as good at triple A as he did before. Um that Corbin Burns could potentially be that guy and that you don't have to go and give up, you know, Corbin Burns plus two or three other guys to get that guy. You know, I, I think that's the hope. That's my hope. So that's where but the I thing am, is, that's where I'm at with it. I think it's important to recognize that while Corbin Burns is a very good starting pitching prospect for the Brewers and while the Brewers organization for a long period of time have struggled to develop their own pitching talent. There's a difference between somebody like Corbin Burns and somebody like Michael Kopech, who, who is with the White Sox, is a, is a legit top-end prospect. I'm not saying that Corbin Burns cannot be somebody who could be a quality major league When you're talking about somebody that could be a young, controllable starting with a solid two or even a ceiling, you're talking about the Michael Kopechs of the world. You're not talking about Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns is somebody that is a solid mid-rotation starter, and if you squint, he could be more. That is not the same as getting somebody who could be a Jamison Italian. They're just not. And it's important to recognize that when you're looking across the board with the organization, because there are not very many legit number twos or even aces. Those guys do, do the Brewers across the board outside of. Do the Brewers even have the currency to get a two or a one in a trade? Uh, yes, they would either have to trade a lot from their minor league system where they'd have to start trading from the, the major league club, but every, yeah, I, they do. I just don't think that right now as currently constructed with the players that they have in the org diligent for them to be able to go out and get somebody of that current. I don't think that they have the, the pieces to do it, uh, to do it responsibly. So you basically agree with me, but <laughs> well, Hey, no, I, I know I that don't agree with you because I don't think there's any, ever say that they should go pick up somebody like that other than like somebody selling low on somebody like a Garrett Cole or somebody like that where you're like oh look we could buy this person at a cut rate price and we wouldn't really have spend that much money uh like but I don't think if you wanted to go and get somebody like I don't know like uh Chris Archer and Marcus Stroman yeah, but that's not the, the market Stroman right now is is a perfect example of somebody that you would be hoping to get on the cheap because he's not pitching that well. Or Archer and, for that matter, too. They're both having trust. Well, me, absolutely. You know, but if right now you wanted to go get somebody who was a young, controllable to Sean Manea is somebody like that right now. Right. Just using somebody who's at the news cycle right now because he just threw a number. He just threw a no hitter. 
you would not be willing to pay that price. Period. Um, I I mean Manea specifically because of the injury history. No, I mean that's you know exactly what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean I would I would need to find the right guy. I mean I didn't have an issue with the Yelich trade. So like there's that, you know, that, that right guy, that pitcher that is a potential ace who has no injury, uh, history or risk going forward. (laughs) Yeah. That right guy that exists, you know, that teams are just willing to trade away because they want a bunch of, uh, mid-level prospects or something like that. So I was looking at for that, like Yelich, the Yeliches don't become available. Right. Like there are very few situations in which you have somebody who is a four or five win player who is controllable, young impact talent who is traded. It just almost never happens. And even with the Marlins fire sale, the Brewers still paid for that. Oh, they absolutely did. The Marlins were were getting rid of everybody, but the Brewers definitely paid more than everybody else was, you know, because Stanton had a huge contract. Ozuna didn't have many years left. I mean, the Brewers paid for Yelich. Yes, they did. They they paid a market rate for him, which was absolutely fine. That's what they needed to do, and that that is fine. And until Lewis Brinson played the Brewers, it looked like the <laughs> Brewers were just fine in that trade. Yeah, it's funny how that worked. Because um, what, he hit three, three home runs in the series? Yeah, he has three home runs this season. He has three home runs this season. He raised his OPS from three, his OPS from <laughs> 300 to, I think, 450 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, which is unfortunate. We don't want to cheer against Lewis Brinson. No, 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 no. But yeah, I would like him not to hit, what was it, six fewer home runs than than Christian (laughs) Yelich? Yeah, I'd have to look exactly (laughs) what. Again, I still say if Brinson plays enough games, he's going to hit more than Yelich because Yelich isn't a power hitter. Brinson has power. Brinson's going to have to stay in the lineup through... With the trade they made and the lack of talent they have, who are they going to put in instead of Brinson? Yeah, I don't think that he's in any danger of losing much playing time unless he falls off a cliff and they just can't justify it anymore. But I will say for Yelich, um, and I know that it's because he was with the Marlins, but like, A, I don't think I realized he was 6'4". And he's a big dude. Oh, yeah. And he's... He's looked incredible. So that has been, I know that he was injured and might like question whether or not he's durable. And I think that is, which was crazy because I think that's the first time he's been on the DL in his career. I think that's true. I, I, I I saw that somewhere else and I I didn't look it up to verify it myself. So it could be fake news, but I'm pretty sure that that's true. No, I think before, before the season started, we were looking at his games played and he basically always played over 155 games. You can't be on the DL if you've played 155 games. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I just don't, I don't know if like, for some reason, Yelich, and maybe it's because everybody said he wasn't a power hitter that I just like always imagined him to be 5'11", six foot, just like a super good all around hitter. But he's a, he's a big dude and he does have the power to be able to do it. It's just a matter of, I think, being able to maybe either change his approach or maybe it is, maybe I was underselling the park. I'm not sure, but I mean, I think it's pretty clear from his short stint with the Bruce. He has the ability to hit 20 plus homers. I, I mean, I might have been sleeping on that pretty. He is, I think, an incredible across the board. Well, especially in this home run environment, yeah. but he's an incredible across the board hitter. He can do everything. There's, you know, 
I was watching him taken at bat against a, a lefty the other day uh, in the Marlins series. I can't remember who it was exactly, but watching him foul off pitches, and it was like that's what you have to do when you're in that you know when you're a lefty facing a a tough lefty who's you know meant to get out lefties. That's what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to follow off pitches to make them throw something to get kind of sick of dealing with you and maybe give you something to hit. And I, I can't even remember what the end of the the results of the at-bat was, but he followed off pitch after pitch, and it was, you know, you could kind of see this is a professional hitter. The, like, uh, talking the about, capital P, capital H, this is a professional hitter. Well, talking about following off pitches, the team this year, there's a big difference between last year and this season in their ability to just fall off pitches and keep at-bats going. I mean, just look at the game times. I think you have to block out like four hours for games for these guys right now. I mean, <laughs> always, ha- always your biggest gripe. Part of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to sit there for a four-hour game. I got stuff to do. I got to get up in the morning. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie about that. 5 I'm not going to lie about that. I got to get up in the morning. If they go to 11 o'clock or later, yeah, that's going to be maybe tough. You should, maybe you should get your routine and be on the treadmill at 11 at night instead of 5 <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'll let you negotiate this with my wife, and then we can figure <laughs> this out, and I can change my routine for everything. I'm just offering I'm offering a potential solutions to be able to allow you to accommodate four hour baseball games. I'm not saying that all of them are workable. I'm trying to offer you suggestions to alter your routine so you can get maximum enjoyment, Steve. Exactly. So anyways, you do have Yelich, you have Kane, you know, giving you better at bats. You know, Braun is always giving good at bats, even if he's struggling at the plate right now. Thames is a guy that works pitchers. Shaw has, especially I think of this against the Marlins, you know, a bunch he, of walks. Yeah, he had a home run, and well, I think everybody hit a home run on what was it, Thursday night, the first game. No, it was the second. night. Or did he have the second night? Anyways, he also had like a handful of walks in the weekend as well. So I mean, that that top half of their lineup really takes their walks, and they really work pitchers now. It's it's a change from yeah, what last do. season was. It was so weird early in the year. We're talking after the 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 second Cubs series. Or, or the second Cardinal series, whoever we played twice, and uh, the Cardinals, um, and we were saying that they actually had the walk rate in the entire league, and that was just really weird considering the hitters that they added. And obviously, injuries played a part in that, and they were pressing because they necessarily hadn't hit that well before that. But this is what you expected. You expected better at bats. You expected more walks. You expected more quote unquote professional at bats, whatever you know, whatever that means. But you're starting to see the the kind of offense that they can become. And I'm hoping to continue this after the, the Reds and the Marlins series, because my concern is not for the team as a whole, but for, uh, I don't know, just the general conversation around the team. You hope that they can continue it. So it's not this, you know, they, they beat up on the Padres, the Reds, and the Marlins, and that's all their wins came from, and they can't actually play any good teams well, right? That that narrative is, like, ready. That narrative is also they, the worst. They... Uh, last question we have is a Patreon question from Mitch Reichert. Uh, can you tell listeners and myself anything or everything you can about Waukesha, Wisconsin product, Jared Kellenick? Uh, the goal is to make everyone incredibly excited for his future while also ridiculously sad that he won't be drafted by the Brewers. So, uh, JP, is this a guy that you have much information on right now? 
I don't have a ton of information outside of what I've read out just by some of the early reports coming like baseball America from fan graphs from places like that. But he's, he's one of the few has both the ability to play defensively in center field, but can just is a good all around contact and power hitter. Um, the, the question marks have been, whether people have, I, I have read that some people do question whether or not he can stay in center field. Some people have said that he can stay in center field. So I suppose it, it depends there. But uh, he hasn't played a lot this spring. Part of that's been weather. Part of it's been illness. Um, yeah, I don't know so if people know this, but a- but Wisconsin weather this spring has been awful, to say the least. But that's right? the case every single year. No, well, not like this year. This year has been a special kind of uh, hell, I don't know, hell for because, us to all listen live because in. Because I know that not everybody's a fan of Facebook's algorithms at the moment, but they do go back and actually say, you know, you posted this a year ago or two years in the, the third week of April on like the 18th or whatever it was. Um, we had taken pictures outside in Chicago that it had been snowing. And like that there was a ton of snow on the ground and that we were all complaining about it. So the Midwest is just awful. So anyways, Ryan, have you been able to read up on them at all? I know you like to, to peruse the baseball America. It, well, and yeah, other places too. So it's interesting because he's being talked about as a potential number one pick for the Tigers, mm-hmm. though that has sort of been floated as a, they might try to take a discount on him. Like they would encourage him if, if he didn't think he would get, you know, above maybe the fourth or fifth spot, the Tigers could pop them at one. And part of the thinking with that, and this has been sort of backed up by Keith Law talked about this a little bit. Um, there's this, this sort of feeling like everybody missed on Mike Trout. <laughs> and part of that was nobody could get into, what is it, Millville, New Jersey that spring to see him because it was really crappy weather. And like nobody... So and, and also, the other thing to remember about it, too, is when you have a guy like this, he is not seeing competition comparable to maybe what they could see guys in Southern California or Texas or Florida or something like that. He's not seeing consistently the type of pitching. And so nobody really knew. Like, everybody thought, like, scouts knew who Mike Trout was, and they thought, this guy could be really good. We just don't know how good because we haven't been able to see him facing anybody who's good. No, so he gets some, what, uh, futures games or whatever they are for the high school kids. Right, yeah, the perfect game, stuff you, like that. You get, yeah. like, a couple weekends a year where and that's you really get everybody Like, together. the summer before. Yeah. Yeah. And Trout was especially young, too. So... Like, not to say that he's like the next Mike Trout, but the the thinking kind of is going, well, he's a guy that that seems to be really good. His power is his calling card, is what I've read. Um, he has good power, and there's a, a feeling that he could have above average tools across the board when it's all said and done, but there's some projection that's obviously needed in that, so... But yeah, I mean, if the Tigers were to pop him at number one, it wouldn't be a huge shock, but they would be getting a discount on him because he's not, I think Mize is at this point considered the number one, likely to be the number one pick in the draft. And But at the same time, the, the teams for the last few drafts have done that. Like that wouldn't be new for the Tigers to do that. I mean, the the whole talk was with the Twins last year. The Twins basically went to Royce Lewis and they went to to Brandon McKay and they said, this is what we're willing to offer. Will you take it? And McKay said no, so they didn't. 
And then with Mickey Moniak, obviously they were taking a discount there on a high school guy. Um, so it, this is pretty much what you do with the first pick now. Is right. You take somebody, you get a bunch of guys who you're talking about, number one, and you find which one, you know, you, I like, you know, these three or four players or with the twins, it was two players, but find the, the guys that you would be comfortable with at number one. And then you float out a number and you see who's, who's going to take it. And then after that, you move. I mean, ever since we've gone into this new era where you have the, the signing pools, I think the first year that that was in effect, that was the Carlos Correa draft. And that's what I was just going to say. Correa was the guy that I think the, the Astros kind of pulled that on because they didn't want to deal with Appel's contract demands. Because right. he was a junior that year. He still had a little bit of leverage. I think that's right, yeah. Because he came back in the draft turned the out, following year, they drafted Appel over Chris Bryant. Otherwise, they could have drafted Whoops. Correa and Bryant. In well, but then they wouldn't have Alex Bregman. So, Well, geez, don't they just have a, a pile of riches there in Houston? I mean, I think they'd probably rather have Chris Bryant and Alex Bregman. Yeah, so there. either oh, way. Wait, no, they could actually have both. They could have Bregman and Bryant because Bregman was the guy they got for not signing uh, – the the kid with the uh, UCL issue um, when they they took him number one overall. No, the, okay. Yes. Well, no. And do you have a name? Who is it? Oh, Brady Aiken. Yeah. Okay. Brady Aiken. So um, yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting, and that's the way the game's going. Is I think they're they're weighing talent, well, scouted talent versus price. But with the way the draft goes, there's no correlation between that. You can get just as great a player by going a little cheaper. Well, I mean, you still have to get a guy that has the calling card tool. Like, they're not taking guys who aren't. If you have one, if you're picking one, one. Right. You're getting a discount on a guy that would probably be, what, a top five pick anyways, probably. They're, that, they're not going deep. Be, they're not, right. they're yeah. not grabbing guys who are going to go at the end of the first round or in the second round. No, Royce Lewis was going to go top five or six at worst. And, you know, same with Correa, same with, you know, all these guys. Like, they weren't going to fall that far. Yeah, so it, it's it's not like by saying we're taking the discount on a guy that they're not getting, you know, top five talent by any means. So um, it'll be interesting. So I guess that's a, that's a name to follow uh, once the draft comes around in June. Yeah, so second week in June. Yeah, we got a little bit of time. So, um, But that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com at or slash MKE tailgate. Patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can also submit question, questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.